This week on Retronauts. Every day's great at your Hey everybody, welcome to Retronauts Pocket episode 20, and this week's topic is RPGs with modern day settings. And before I talk about who brought us this topic, let's let's see who's here today. Who is right over there? Ray Barnholt. That's right. Who else do we have? Cat Bailey. All right, and who else is on Skype? Oh, that's me, Jeremy Parrish. That's you, yeah. I forgot what Skype <laughs> Somebody is. Somebody else on Skype? Yeah, yeah. It is a program you're using and it's terrible, God but dang. it's a solution. Yes. So this is another backer episode, and it comes to us from uh, Juan Soto, who writes in to say, Many gamers have their favorite RPGs, usually a Final Fantasy or a Dragon Quest title. Me, I like my RPGs of the modern day realm. Earthbound, Contact, Persona. Unfortunately, these are a rare breed. Why do gamers prefer their RPGs set in a fantasy world than a more contemporary slash urban setting? And why don't we get more urban RPGs, seeing as contemporary life is getting more and more adventurous? And that comes in from Juan Soto. And I brought Kat in because uh, you might not know this, but you probably should. Kat ran a few RPG podcasts. Once upon a time. Yes. In the, in the uh, Retronauts Extended Universe. So <laughs> Is that I, what it's called now? The Extended I think Universe so. of I, Retronauts. I don't think we're allowed to kind of call it the one-up Extended Universe anymore. We're but, a spin-off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like the, the, uh, the Family Matters to uh, one-ups Perfect Strangers, uh, uh, if that makes any sense. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, and I am not Urkel, in case you're wondering. So, I, I brought Kat here because I feel like she'll have a lot to add, and Kat plays a lot of these modern-day RPGs or RPG set in modern-day settings, except for Earthbound, Kat. What well, we talked yeah, about that sorry, in the last I episode. Sorry, I betrayed you. Yes. I did play Mother 3, though. That is great. But, and that's related. So, I thought the best way to tackle this question would be to sort of look at it from a different angle and answer the question first, why do RPGs rely so heavily on a medieval or token-esque or high fantasy setting? We're going to be using these terms interchangeably, but I mean like swords and sorcery, dudes on horseback, wizards, uh, anything when you think of Dungeons and Dragons. Gruel. Gruel, yes, exactly. And like, I think it's kind of a a tautology in a way where it's like, uh, an RPG has to have a medieval setting because RPGs have medieval settings or RPGs have fantasy settings. So that's just baked into what they are, but that's not always true. And um, how do you guys feel about that as an idea? Like, of course your RPG is going to have swords and like monsters and things like, I mean, I just feel like that is like, and like your initial knee jerk reaction to RPG development, like yes, dragons, right. swords, knights, etc. Well, you think about the, the very earliest RPGs like Ultima, uh, Richard Garriott was a huge, huge, huge like first gen Dungeons and Dragons guy. Right. So that was where his mind space was. Exactly. And he went out and made a fantasy RPG, and then a lot of games such as Dragon Quest actually came and stole from Ultima. Except yeah. that and the early Ultima games had you going off into outer space and fighting things in the future. There was time travel. <laughs> well, I mean, that's there was right. A lot there, of, was, there was a lot of sci-fi like a, to Ultima. Like a first person. And actually, actually, as far as RPGs go, as far as RPGs go, actually, Zork was designed. Uh, I, I just talked to the designer uh, Richard Lebling of mm. uh, of Zork, and um, you know that was that was basically their take on an RPG. Instead of abstracting the numbers, they focused more on the storytelling. So it had you know the the text based interactive narrative, and despite what the uh, the box art that they created for Zork originally, the publishers did. 
it was not meant to be a medieval game. It, it had, you know, elements of wizards and stuff, but it was actually set in some like bizarre underground empire with all kinds of modern elements like uh you know like an inflatable life raft and, and things like that hmm. uh i i, well, I think like that to sneak in lob- sorry oh i was just gonna say i think that you know the earliest video game rpgs weren't necessarily tied to high fantasy but that this, that is something that just kind of became the default over time hmm. um but yeah. that's not necessarily where it started out but we can say at least that D and D has like uh, an, an estimable, an estimable. Did I say that right? Maybe. Yes. Uh, influence on the world of gaming. Yes, that's inestimable. true. Inestimable. There we go. On yeah, I mean, just gaming. in general. Yeah, uh, yeah, not just RPGs. It's also not surprising to me that these developers who came from that background of having been really into that particular setting would want to toss in a few other things because, well, I mean. They're nerds. Yeah, of course. And maybe <laughs> yeah. they watch some Star Trek, and they're thinking, uh, "I personally loved Star Trek back in the day, and I liked Dungeons and Dragons, and I liked Tolkien." So it's not surprising that people would start mashing some of these elements together and having some of these anachronistic elements. I like right, that you right. said Tolkien instead of Tolkien because uh, Token. <laughs> that really brings a different vibe to this to the game stories. It does. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we we definitely can't discount the incredible popularity that lord of the rings had in the 1970s on the like in college campuses uh oh like, god that was, yeah that was just a massive massive thing not necessarily in the mainstream you know like with the movies now but uh just within a certain circle which also happened to be the circle that was likely to go and work at you know mit or something and build computer games so yeah there's there's definitely that so they were listening to uh, Leonard Nimoy sing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins mm-hmm. while working yeah, totally. on Zork and other things. Like, oh, yeah, it all comes okay. together. I went and saw Richard Garriott's new game not too long ago, Shroud of the Avatar, I believe. Oh, okay. And he was he pulled all of out all of his notes from when he was in high school, and I realized that we actually had a lot in common, and that we sat around in like math class and wrote stories, you know, <laughs> and he wrote stories about Lord British. Oh. And that's how it became kind of the the but... lore. It was. There, but for the grace of God and also a rich father who is an astronaut, go you. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so I guess Cat is admitting to writing self-insert fanfiction. Maybe. <laughs> oh no. Uh, were you friends with Sonic? No. Okay, you're Come safe. Come on. I know it's an easy Back joke. Off. It's an easy joke. Wow, Ray, t- touchy <laughs> subjects. <laughs> Someone hit him. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I'm sorry, kids. We okay. had so much in common. It's okay to like Sonic. Uh, okay, we're getting off track. So I came up with some ideas as to why this 
the medieval setting or the tokenesque setting or high fantasy, why they're used all the time. And one good reason is it's really easy to excuse violence in that world or make violence a commonplace thing in that world. There are monsters everywhere. There are dragons everywhere. It's a dangerous world. There's no police state. There's no there's no cops. You know, you're you're taking care of yourself. You're, you're fighting your own battles. And in a modern setting, that's much harder to do because, you know, of society. There are, there are things in place where you can't just fist fight people and steal their gold in public. Well, you can do it, but someone's going to shoot you, probably a cop. Yeah. Um, yeah so, yeah, I, um, I mean, like... I, I actually... <laughs> Maybe this is like a little bit embarrassing to to tell, and I shouldn't be giving this anecdote. But I remember this is embarrassing oh. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like thirteen, fourteen years ago. I was between jobs, okay. which is to say, statute of limitations is over on that. Yeah. Um, and I remember just being so frustrated that I didn't have any money, and I, I was just like, I wish life could be like an RPG, and I could just go out in the backyard and beat the crap out of some animal, and it would drop money, and you know that would be it. I would just have to beat up a lot of animals, then go to sleep, and there would be money. But no, I can't do that. I have to find a stupid job in this stupid economy. It would have been an embarrassing story if it ended with your, your arraignment for an animal abuse trial, you know. <laughs> but it had a happier ending. I uh, I would like to piggyback on that, uh, the the matter of having, where it's, more, where it's easier to excuse violence in an RPG with the suggestion that because there are dragons and orcs and all of this, these really interesting things, it's a lot easier to have kind of this this adventure, the, the 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 sense that the world is unexplored, that there's so many things to find, right, right, hidden dungeons, caves, and if the world, the modern, if you're going with the modern world, <clears throat> like say setting your game in Tokyo, then you have to tuck that stuff away in areas that are, are hidden, or right, whatever. But in but in a fantasy world, you have kind of carte blanche to create your own world, your own map, and I think that a lot of these people come in and say. You know, they, 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 when they were young, they maybe designed their own world, and now this is their chance to throw it on there. Hmm. Uh, you saw that even with um, Stardock's uh, less successful strategy game, the, not Galactic Civilizations, but uh, uh, the, the, the key designer oh, okay. uh, was like, yes, this is the stuff that I've been writing since I was in high school. <laughs> So yeah. they're making their dreams come true. Pretty much. And in many cases, it is it is laziness because, uh, I mean, like, you do have to work a lot harder to make these things work, these RPG elements work in a modern setting. You have to work a lot harder um, for that to happen because, like, the past 50 to 60 years have given us so many tropes to just package ideas into, like... Like, here are stereotypes in fantasy. Pick, pick which ones you want. The elves can be an allegory for racism. Sure, why not? You know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what always happens. It's, it's really easy to package your ideas into these these really accepted tropes and these really identifiable tropes without having to work too hard. Yeah, I don't want to pick on Dragon Age, but it was it's amusing to see how many tropes they lifted from oh, God. fantasy writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard not to, you know. Most notably, Song of Ice and Fire, which is becoming even more noticeable now that Game of Thrones is a series uh, okay. <laughs> and everything. Yeah. So. Hmm. And uh, one thing I also wanted to add before we talk about games that have modern settings is that there is a disconnect because we are confronted with the modern day. So when RPG things are put into that context, they can become funny unintentionally. And if you're not going for humor, and a lot of these uh, modern day RPGs are like uh, Robotrek and Earthbound. Uh, if you're not going for that kind of humor, it, c- it could be, you know, a disconnect for the player where they're like, this is kind of silly. I- I'm sleeping in a hotel and I'm and I'm getting my le- my hit points back. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's kind of funny in that way. Um, how do you guys feel about this? Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know at least Golgo 13 uh, took a hooker to a hotel to get his health back. 
guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's easy to deal with for me, but I guess because I'm just so enveloped in the language of video games, especially for yeah. so long anyway. Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of as a corollary to all of this, <clears throat> the problem with setting, you know, a, some sort of combat-centric fantasy story in a real real-world setting is that at some point you do have to make that disconnect between the real world and the fantasy you're creating. So, you, you know, you said you have to keep it hidden somehow, like in the Persona games where you go into, like, a secret time or a secret place that no one else knows about. But the flip side to that is the Shin Megami Tensei games where what happens is just, hey, the world just ended, everything has gone to crap, let's go, you know, fight some demons in the ruins of Tokyo. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of like right. a point of no return. You do that, there's no going back. Yeah. Or conversely, Fallout, where it's kind of a modern setting, but it's post-apocalyptic, post-nuclear right. world. So it's basically a fantasy world in itself. Yeah, I, I, I didn't include those uh, those games for a reason because you can excuse a lot. Uh, sorry, you can excuse a lot more in those worlds. Mm -hmm. Like like um, even um, God, I can't think of the name. Um, cyber tech stuff. Shadowrun. Shadowrun. Yeah, I was thinking Shatterhand, and I'm I'm bad. Oh, I'm really gosh. bad and wrong. Oh. But yeah, that that's like sort of a a future game. It's not a modern setting because the the way that world is created allows these sort of more fantastical things to happen. So You'll notice right. that a lot of people would consider, say, the modern world to be mundane and boring. They're yeah. trying to escape the modern world. Um, even something like Harry Potter is like, there's a whole hidden world that we don't even know about. Right. Um, so, hence, people don't want to go to modern-day New York. They want to go to a steampunk version of Seattle. Or right, they right. want to go to... You, you know, Final Fantasy, the various Final Fantasy worlds, because those are, in the minds of a lot of people, inherently more interesting. Hmm. I see. I agree. I disagree. I agree. You disagree with what? I disagree with that sentiment, but I can see why it's appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that completely. Um, so, like, we've, we've looked at these RPGs, uh, why RPGs don't do modern-day settings. So let's look at some that do and, and how they do these modern-day settings so successfully. And obviously, we do want to start off with Earthbound because, I mean, that is sort of like the poster child for your modern RPG. It's probably the most... Probably the the one that's closest to America, maybe America 20 years ago now, but still, like, closest to what our lives are like, even though we're not beating up gang members for pizza. At least I'm not. That sounds pretty fun. Hmm, I could probably yeah. do that here. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it is a fairly basic RPG, Earthbound. It's essentially Dragon Quest E. The battle system is a lot better than that, obviously, but um, it uses this picture postcard version of America to dress up your RPG elements in a, in a way that's different than you know swords and serpents and monsters and all that stuff. So you have you, you have baseball bats, frying pans, yo-yos. You're beating up stray dogs, uh, alcoholics, uh, right. uh, party ladies, uh, things like that. Um, crazy hippies. Crazy hippies. The, I mean, I live in Berkeley. I could find all kinds of <laughs> retro hippies uh, to beat up and steal their protractors or whatever they drop. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and like, and I'm just talking, like, contextualizing this in the sort of rubric I set up to, as to why RPGs stick with fantasy settings is that the violence is excused in Earthbound because you're never killing anything. You're rarely killing anything. Your your people like come to their senses. Animals come to their senses. Yeah. Inanimate objects that are possessed stop moving. So you don't see them again. You don't follow up with the guy you beat up or the hippie you beat up. But it just says, oh, they came to their senses. They're okay now. Yeah. So that's how they they're able to make this kind of violence make sense in a modern setting. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on this so far? I'm just kind of rifling through my notes here. I think that in the usual RPG, there's a sense that you want to go into the wide world. You want to escape your little town. You, usually your little town burns down or something. In Pokemon, it starts out in Pallet Town and then 
now you're traveling around the world and everything. Whereas Earthbound, in some ways, is almost opposite. There's a kind of there's a love of the hometown. There's a kind yeah, of nostalgia going on. There is. It's, it's interesting. It's kind of an inverted thing going on there. It's true because, like, even when you go home in Earthbound, it plays the music from the first Mother game in the house. So it's like it's supposed to be a very nostalgic place. You go there, you sleep in your own room, you eat your homemade food. So right. it's very much in touch with that. And like, I think that that wouldn't resonate as much if it weren't in a more kind of modern setting. Right. I totally agree with that. And like a lot, I mean, a lot of modern day stuff in Earthbound is a gimmick. It's just there, like window dressing to sort of sell the idea that you're in a modern day time. Like things like ordering a pizza. Once you get healing spells in the game, ordering food is just like a pointless thing to do. But you can still do it. You can read the newspaper at the hotel after you sleep there and get like a little joke. I mean, there are like these little things that are just from real life that are just there in the game. They're not super functional, but they they serve a purpose to sort of communicate that modern setting in a better way. Also, the inherent strangeness of that world where like I think cars are coming to a life and attacking you yeah. that sort of thing uh, it's doing that on purpose it, it likes that kind of sense of chaos mm-hmm. um, it adds to the sort of surreal feeling of the game it's, it all works well together yeah it does uh, can we think of anything else before we move on that's unique about Earthbound's modern day setting? I think it is the best, uh, best like realization of the modern day RPG. Um, even really? mother, even mother three does not. I mean, mother the three best realization of the modern day RPG. The RPG with a modern day setting. I would argue that Persona Four is a better realization. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Earthbound, Earthbound goes for Earthbound goes for a level of surrealism and fantasy. And you, you mentioned, you know. How strange it seems that you you can order pizza and it's just window dressing once you learn your magic spells. But really, what it does is it serves to highlight the disconnect that your party has from the rest of the world. How much you've kind of entered this like this alien reality that doesn't really line up with everyone else's experiences. Like you've kind of become, I don't know, like you've become strange and and separated yourselves from the world again, uh, a bit. So that you know when it all, all when it all culminates and you're fighting an alien force. You know, it kind of makes sense. Like, there's there's stuff happening beyond the world, and you are kind of beyond the normal world as well. That's my take on it. I like your take on it. We have to move on, though, to Persona. And I, I thought of a few reasons why this... And I love the Persona games so much. They're some of my favorite RPGs of all time, especially 4. But uh, I think the modern-day setting makes the characters more personable and relatable because their problems are... Even if you're not a Japanese teenager that's in an anime, you can relate to their problems. They're struggling with, um, you know, self-esteem, um, making friends, uh, things like that. They're, their, own, their own personal development. And that's, like, every character has, like, an issue that they're going through in this game. Um... 
it's not like, oh, the dragon's attacking our village or like the bandits have robbed us or whatever. These are real problems. I mean, they get kidnapped and sucked into a TV. That's not a real problem. But <laughs> other than that, I feel like you can connect more with these characters because they are going through modern modern day alienation and weirdness. And mm-hmm. <laughs> there's also kind of a longing of, is this it? Is this all there is? Yeah, yeah. Isn't there something cool? Oh, yeah. um, and it borrows from the Japanese high school comedy tropes like you see in Bleach, for example, mm-hmm. where by day they are mild-mannered high school students but who are, having date, who are dating one another and having issues. But by night, they are samurai right. with swords and magic powers and they're fighting demons. And there is a certain appeal to that. Definitely. is definitely a, a sense of escapism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Persona gets away with the violence in the game because we were talking about how do these modern RPGs, you know, make violence acceptable because the violence happens in a different, like, dimension, a different realm outside of um, the, the place that your your characters live in and, you know, the human world. So in that sense, um, it's, it's just taking place on another plane so the violence is excused. But also the monsters aren't just, like, your typical fantasy monsters. They're all kinds of, like, just like, cherry-pick mythological figures f- from history throughout time. So you have any, any sort of deity you want, you can probably summon them uh, as part of your dark ritual. Right. Um, so, yeah. One thing that I really like about Persona is that it drew me into that world. I haven't been in high school for a little bit now, but yeah. <laughs> um, I felt like in a very small way that I was part of that group. Hmm. And when the game ended and it was time to leave, I was sad. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say goodbye to all of them. They, The characters do stick with you. Yeah, they really definitely. do. I think that Persona is definitely helped by how richly um, the characters are rendered in terms of their personalities, yeah. their their personal issues, their fears, etc., their hopes. And um, one of the things I think Persona does the best is it transforms these mundane, everyday things into the RPG experience. Sort of what like what Jeremy was talking about before, like beating up dogs in your backyard for money. <laughs> it's not it's not quite that far, but it's basically like every boring, crappy part of your life is now an RPG element. Like you're in class answering questions, you're working a crappy part time job, you're just BSing with your friends, um, making social links like that. Um, and the game's daily schedule really reinforces this idea. Like you're going through the mundanity of modern life while there's this like escapist world just on the on the borders. So I feel like that's like a really great way. Maybe Persona is a better modern JRPG than Earthbound now that I'm talking about it. You've convinced me. You've convinced me. You know, during GDC, uh, there was a, a Shenmue talk and it was pretty good. And one thing that jumped out at me was that Yu Suzuki said that he was kind of trying to capture that sense of the mundanity of everyday life. He certainly did. <laughs> I think Persona does a better job of that. I think so too. For it's, the most part. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, it accomplished what he was trying to do. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways I think the, uh, the school setting in Persona and, you know, all the SMT games, uh, the ones that have the really, really strong basis in day-to-day Japanese life, which is so schedule-driven, so rigid, so, you know, kind of systemic. Um, I think, you know, if you look at Persona 1 and 2 especially, which are such kind of visually dull-looking games, uh, it really enhances the weirdness and the creepiness of uh, of the, the eldritch horrors that are oozing out from behind the scenes. It's, it's a little bit like what I talked yeah, about with yeah. Earthbound, but in, in a different way. Like... Because, you know, the games really do stay so buttoned down until you start dabbling in, in these outside worlds. And your characters never really, they don't, they don't become sort of like the, the magical children that the characters in Earthbound do. 
they're just people who happen to be able to summon demons and fight demons. Um, I don't know, like it, it, you know, the, the, the Megaton series started out from sort of like light novels with a really strong horror bent to them. And you really do get that kind of horror element to them. Like here is just the mundanity, the boringness of real world life. And oh, by the way, like the world is about to end behind the scenes and look at all these terrifying demons and gods that are fighting and you never even knew about it. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the boringness of, of Persona setting, I think, helps enhance the uncanniness of what the story is actually about. Yeah, especially Persona 4, because it's supposed to take place in a very boring rural area where nothing happens. Just a very slow, slower kind of life in the city life you saw in Persona 3. Uh, yeah. uh, any thoughts on this, Ray? No, I, I pretty much agreed. Jeez. Uh, I'm, in fact, I'm trying to finish Persona 4 right now. Oh, nice. I just started it again, and it's got me. I didn't, I didn't think I'd be able to after 120 hours. But... Is it on Vita? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Oh, it's so good on I did Vita. PS2 the first time. How did yeah. I... My ass must have fallen asleep about a billion times through that game. Sorry. Go ahead. I do like the choice parts, you know, going through that you know, the mundane stuff and yeah. choosing your your response to this, this stuff, because... It could have so easily been written as, you know, one response because, you know, obviously that's what anybody would have said. But no, you you, you often do get the choice of two or three responses for things. Hmm. And do just you want to sleep element. through the test? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but remember, cultural standards are different, so people will like you if you're smart in Persona 4. Yeah, right. They will like you if you have the right answer. They will wow. not pants you and shove you into a locker. And the hero's also good looking. So that's, that helps a lot yeah. in life, doesn't yeah. it? All right. The thing, or one thing that I thought Jeremy made a really good point when he said that uh, the normal normality of the setting enhances the uncanniness mm -hmm. of everything that's happening, and you can definitely see that in Double Survivor. Oh yeah, yeah. Where the main characters are hanging out in Tokyo, and all of a sudden their mobile phones just kind of become possessed in a weird <laughs> way, and they're like, "What the hell is going on here?" Yeah. Yeah, of all the um, of all the Mega Ten games I've played, I think the first Double Survivor does the best job of kind of giving you a, a broader view of how people would respond to that sort of bizarre apocalypse that's happening, because it does affect more than just your your characters in the party. Like the city starts to break down, people are you know forced to find refuge in Ueno Park and things like that. Like it gives you a sense of scale and and kind of a sense of like oh this is you know this is something really bad but at the same time people don't know the exact nature of what's happening they just know there's a disaster which I think you know works really well uh, for selling the story and kind of ties into some of the disasters and and un unhappy events that have happened in Japan throughout the year. series I want to look at uh, for modern day RPGs and we'll, we'll go over a few more games that do this do the same thing but uh I like Shadow Hearts a lot I, I might be the only person on this podcast who's has a strong love for Shadow Hearts even though the first game isn't that great uh, it's actually kind of bleh. but uh 
These games are not modern, but they're modern in the sense they take place in the 20th century, the early 20th century. So, I mean, that's fairly modern for an RPG, you know, when you're usually dealing with uh, a vaguely medieval or Renaissance era world, or at least a world without electricity and, you know, modern cities and things like that. Um, and, and Shadow Hearts, I mean, you, you use swords, you use like magic and all kinds of things like you find in an RPG. But I think the best thing Shadow Hearts does is it takes advantage of its uh, modern setting by, you know, incorporating these events of world history into its story, albeit extremely, extremely loosely. And these games take place at a time when there is like global conflict. So when we're asking like, how does, how does violence get justified in these modern RPG games? Well, there's wars happening or wars are about to break out. So we have a reason to get away with killing or, or violence or things like that. And um, if I can just rifle off some more things about these games, because I love them so much. The games, they also incorporate real people from history. Um, and they would get little, yeah, they would get wackier as time went on. I think they learned to embrace their goofiness by part three, which I, I love a lot. But uh, uh, the second one, which is called Covenant, really sort of uh, embraced the the real-life history thing where uh, Rasputin is the villain, um, things like that. And in part three, one of the quests involves rescuing Al Capone's sister, um, like, they, like you're going to, you're going to meet all these people from history. Uh, HP Lovecraft is in part three. You do all these side quests for him because he's researching monsters so he can write about them. Um, really cool stuff. Um, and I totally miss the series now that it's been dead for a, a while now, seven or eight years. Um, yeah. I mean, have you guys played Shadow Hearts? Do you have any thoughts about it? Any comments on it? I love it. I want it to be on PSN. Right. Somebody I've only played a bit of the first one. Okay. So. That's not a very good one. No, I guess I'm not the expert. Yeah, I mostly missed out on Shadow Hearts, unfortunately. Hmm. Jeremy, have you played Shadow Hearts? Uh, yeah, I played all the way through the second one to review it. Um, okay, I, I think and that's the best I, one. I did. I did like the setting a lot. Um, I was not so crazy about some of the mechanics and the linearity of it. Uh, but yeah, the the setting was interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know that it took advantage of the semi modern day setting nearly as well as uh say the persona games but you know it, it definitely gave it a different vibe right and it's just so uh, i like i don't i mean i we, we understand why these these things don't happen but i just don't understand why rpg developers are not looking to games like assassin's creed for inspiration where these things are overlapping with history using these real figures these real places uh and going from there i mean like lots of uh rpgs are inspired by real life events but usually they're filtered through you know the D D lens like um we talked about evilis uh was based on like what uh the, the punic wars i forget what what wars were they <laughs> no, or the, the... <laughs> i'm thinking um, way back in time yeah no um the balkan wars which yeah, there you go the sorry century yeah but it's filtered through a very like fantasy lens though um you know, filtering those events through like more more familiar terms and, and right. you know RPG and even, expressions. Even then, you have uh, something like uh, Jeanne d'Arc, um, that was based kind of on right, yeah. French history, but not really. No, it no, took some, no. Some real liberties with history. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just want to go over a few. We're about to wrap up, but there's a few other games that are notable that are not part of any long-standing series, but. They are, well, maybe a few of them are series, but they are modern-day RPGs, uh, RPGs with a modern-day setting. So we have The World Ends With You. Uh, everyone loves that game. I think we all like it, right? One of my uh, ten yes. favorite RPGs. I think it's supremely overrated, but go ahead. Oh, my I, I, God. I only played the first chapter, right. but, uh, yeah. But, I mean, regardless of its quality, it, it's a modern-day setting. It takes advantage of that because the game is about this... These, these highly fashionable teens and you're equipping pins and it takes place in the super like trendy area of Japan so I have a, a really special place in my heart for 
the world ends with you because I used to work next to Shibuya. So mm. I passed through it every day. It was kind of my hood. Yeah. And so to play a game that was set in that area really drew me in in a way that I'm like, I'm not sure as many people could identify with. And I always thought it was funny that it was way more popular than in America than in Japan. Because huh. I would think yeah. that Japanese uh, gamers would be able to understand that kind of feeling. Right, then, right. On the other hand, Americans who jumped into it were usually really big into Japan anyway. And yeah. So it was like, it's that sense of, I'm in Japan <laughs> and everything. Yeah, so. of course. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, your thoughts on The World Ends With, sorry, The World Ends With You in its modern setting. Twi-wee. Um, Yeah, I mean, The World Ends With You, I would say, more than any other game, uses its contemporary setting to make a point about contemporary culture. Nice. The the game really is about um, the hero pulling his head out of his ass and uh, not being kind of your typical uh, loser, you know, emo, wannabe, crybaby, sad boy. Like, saying, hey, you know, pull yourself out of of your your head and um, stop feeling bad for yourselves take off your headphones, look at the world around you, uh, and realize that, you know, there's there's a life worth living and people worth knowing. Um, and it does that without really beating you over the head with it. Maybe maybe a little bit toward the end, but <laughs> but by and large, like, it, it lets the character evolve. And, um, you know, he's kind of Squall Leonhardt done right. Um, and I, I really think that the message resonates more because, you know, he could be someone you know, or he could be you, uh, Neku, I mean. And uh, it's it's really successful on that on that level. Cool. I also like the character of Shiki because she comes off as kind of that airheaded, archetypical Japanese Shibuya girl, and then you find out that she's actually shy girl who always looked up to her friend who was extremely outgoing and mm. wanted to be her, and then did become her briefly. Hmm. Um, Spoilers. It, yeah. Well. <laughs> Maybe. Spoiler tag. Spoiler tag. Tag this podcast. Uh, we also have uh, Parasite Eve, which uh, right. definitely took advantage of its modern setting. Your your weapons are guns. Your armor is, uh, is bulletproof vests, things like that. Um, it's in New York. It's in New York, a real place. Yeah. You go to that's... real places in the city. I would say that's one of those games where the modern setting actually worked against it in a lot of ways. Oh, okay. Um, you know, they managed to completely evacuate Manhattan Right, in a right. matter of hours. <laughs> That's never going to happen. That's like, true. Even if you could logistically do that, there are so many, like hundreds of thousands of people who would just be like, no, I'm not leaving my home. Uh, so yeah, there was, I don't know. And the idea that you'd just walk into a hospital lobby and, oh, hey, here's ammunition for my gun. Thank God I came to the hospital. Um, it, it got kind of laughable. Like it's an, yeah. I think it's a good example. I like the game a lot, the first one. But it's, it's a really good example of... Um, why it's dangerous to make an RPG set in contemporary times. Right. Because, that's what we, uh, because yeah. you know, when, when things are illogical and they just don't work, it really stands out and it, it undermines the story. Right, yeah, there's that disconnect we talked about where, you know, th- there's humor, but there's not supposed to be. <laughs> you know, it just it's drawing you out of it. Um, I think that's when you, that's just the problem of taking too many cues from Resident Evil. Ah, <laughs> that's another problem, yeah. God, yeah, nothing makes sense in that world. Uh, okay, Ray, can you talk about Contact? I think you played this, if I remember. Am I wrong? Yeah, okay. Yeah. What What is Contact? I, I, I didn't play it. I didn't, I don't know that much about it. I know it's earthbound at least in tone. Mm, I mean, it can, no, yeah, people just go with that because uh, the top screen is like pixel art professor. Yeah, I'm admittedly being ignorant here, but uh, can you uh, uh, help us out? God, what can I remember from it? 
So, yeah, okay. Um, it's kind of almost a dungeon crawler. It's very metatextual. Um, you don't really play the main character. You play, like, this being, the player, who's controlling the main character, uh, which is something that really kind of comes out toward the end. Um, and basically, you and the, the main character are recruited into helping this professor who crash lands on a planet and needs help getting away, uh, you know, find energy for his spaceship so he can leave. Um, so it's kind of a dungeon crawler, pretty linear, um, all touchscreen controlled, uh, plays around a lot with, with ideas of the system, you know, the DS, like the touchscreen elements. Um, it's pretty interesting. I don't think it had to be set in a modern setting, but the fact that, you know, uh, you're the main character is just kind of a, a kid, like, you know, he could be a reject from Star Tropics or something. <laughs> um, yeah. I yep. think that that does help sell the the bizarreness of the plot and some of the twists toward the end. Hmm. Cool. Well, we have a few more <laughs> games to go through. Uh, so Costume Quest I just threw on there. I mean, it's obviously Earthbound inspired. I'm not a big fan of how the game plays. It's just a series of super easy QTEs. That's what the battles are. But um, it's it's like your your currency is candy. Uh, your your weapons are your costumes you're using. It's all like in neighborhoods and malls and things like that. So. I mean, it's going for that cutesy look. It's obviously a throwback to Earthbound in other games. It's unclear whether it's fantasy or reality. It's like, <laughs> are they actually chasing these goblin creatures into their world, or is this all of their imagination? I, I think it's a cautionary tale. I think the kids are, are just tripping out on some poison candy and seeing very these things. Few RPGs where I was able to forgive a pretty simple, boring battle. Yeah, yeah. Because I the played world, a... the art and the writing was so rich and fun. Yeah. That I just had a good time being on the overworld. I think that's one of the only RPGs that I can ever say that about. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I finished it and I did not like the battle system. I didn't yeah, like the character it was, progression. It was way too simple. But The animations took too long. Yeah, it yeah. It was a bit slow, but it, it was fun. Hmm. So I also have um, Yakuza on this list. I mean, these games are just, they, they really are RPGs in their own way. They're like sort of like action RPGs. Yeah. There are so many RPG elements or so many systems in these games and they are modern right. day. And I mean, you are the violence is excused because you are in the Yakuza and you can just beat the hell out of anyone you want because you're respected. And these games do carry that weird fantasy where like, oh, organized crime is used. It's a very respected place. You could be a man there or whatever. So it's like kick anyone's ass. You're in the Yakuza. It's cool. Um, anybody play Yakuza? Played Yakuza Four. I've played Yakuza Dead Souls. Oh, I I, I love Dead Souls. Uh, actually, it's a, it's a good bad game. I think Yakuza Four is probably the best of them. I haven't played Yakuza Five yet because hmm. it had multiple characters, not just the main character who yeah. actually wasn't all that interesting. He was the archetypal strong, silent yeah, type yeah. who kind of an ass kicker. Um, the rest were a lot of fun. And one of the benefits of Yakuza was that because it was set in modern day, uh, a variant of uh, Shinjuku, uh, they could have celebrities coming onto the into the game, Japanese celebrities come into the game that a lot of Japanese people would recognize. Okay. And that was a big deal. Whereas, and that impact is lost a bit in the U.S. But then, of course, you have all of your mini games like doing karaoke and um, even in... And that's even in the case, the case in Dead Souls, where yeah. you go into the safe zones and you can do the karaoke. It's just that now they have shotguns or hostess yeah. clubs or whatever. It's it's a the realization of the fantasy of being a yakuza. Yeah, 
That's definitely escapism there. And mm-hmm. uh, one, I do want to bring this up because Cat's on. Does Pokemon count? Yeah. I don't. I don't think it does because the world is so different. It might as well be fantasy. Um, yeah. Can you imagine a mom giving their kid a little monster that could kill everybody? And, and like, saying like, have fun exploring the world. Yeah, yeah. You don't uh, need school. <laughs> I mean, education. I think that escapism is there because it is a slightly similar world because it's like, yeah, there are cars and there's yeah. modern technology, but um, yeah, it does feel like a like a child's idealized view of the world. I yes. guess like sure. what what a kid would most want out of this. Uh, Jeremy, any thoughts on Pokemon being modern or how it's playing up to that modern uh, RPG perspective? <laughs> <laughs> He's falling asleep. <laughs> Um, no, I was poo-pooing the idea. Oh, okay. I, c- I couldn't tell. They have, like, sci-fi transporters and stuff. Oh, I know? see. I see. Uh, like, you can actually transport around. It's almost it's almost has more in common with Shadowrun than the modern world. That's true. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Bob, you mentioned Yakuza. I'm surprised you didn't really talk more about Shinmu. Uh, it, was the, it was going to be the Virtua Fighter RPG. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you talk more about it, right? Well, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of that. Uh, bleeds into Yakuza a bit too but I mean yeah it's just that part of uh, experiencing that mundanity for one thing right but you also do have that uh, that element of you know battles as well I mean you can't fight everybody but there are certain points where you can you know, go and fight in these uh, 100 man battles uh, and there's you know uh, plenty to collect as well items um, soda pop <laughs> <laughs> capsule toys uh, Capsule can, toys of characters who won't exist for right. years. You can go into the convenience store whenever you want. You can go to the arcade whenever you want and just blow, blow things away. But, uh, yeah. Games. Um, um, yeah, yeah. What were we saying? No. <laughs> um, one of the games that has kind of gotten lost because it frankly wasn't very good was Alpha Protocol. That's right, yeah. And that was definitely set in, in a modern world, but you're a, an agent, a secret agent, spy, that kind of thing. Mm. It's like, a bit like Mass Effect, okay. but... It was a lot like the first Mass Effect, but even more number-oriented. And it had a lot of technical issues, which is one of the reasons that it got lost. But I think it's interesting in the sense that it took other genres, such as the the spy genre, the spy thriller, and incorporate it with an RPG, and it's not something that you see necessarily hmm. enough. Yeah, it feels like they they would usually just make that into a Splinter Cell game or something, you know, like an action game. Right. Yeah. To your earlier point, I think that we've seen a lot of fantasy. We've certainly seen our share of sci-fi RPGs, but we could go with more horror RPGs. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Like, actually, uh, Shadowheart started out as uh, Code Delka, which was a survival horror RPG. It was supposed to be more of an RPG, but Resident Evil was popular at the time, so they, right. they went with that. But And I guess Shadow Hearts is, is kind of horror-themed. At least the first one is more so than the rest, when they got goofy. It's not modern day, but I was always a little disappointed that the Alien RPG didn't work out. Oh, that never happened? Yeah, okay. never happened. it got canceled. Yeah. Okay. Well, that could have been cool. So I guess to wrap up, uh, we love the idea of modern-day RPGs. We just don't see them enough because it's something that's hard to get right, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've seen Persona, uh, I think, is the best example now that you've talked me into it, uh, <laughs> of the idea. I still love Earthbound, but, I mean, Persona does really make... make it, with, the, with the schedule-based gameplay and the, you know, the daily gameplay, um, it really reinforces the idea of you're living a life in this world, like a real life. So yeah, thanks again to Juan Soto for this uh, episode of Topic. It's one I really like to do, and I hope we uh, brought some uh, new ideas to this uh, discussion. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So 
As always, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch.tv, and our blog, Retronauts.com. Please go there. We let you know uh, what songs are in the episode. We give you links to other material that is related to the topic, and we just talk about the episode and maybe give some hints about uh, what's coming up next. So please go to our blog at Retronauts.com. Also, please get us some iTunes reviews in the iTunes Music Store. And if you don't remember, there is a contest currently underway. If you give us a review in the iTunes Music Store and you use the word Fandango in it before May 14th at 11.59pm, you will be entered into a contest where first prize is your topic being turned into an episode, and there are two runner-up prizes, which will get t-shirts, and also first place will also get a t-shirt. So if you want a t-shirt, if you want your uh, your topic made into an episode, please write us a review on iTunes Music Store, use the word Fandango in it, and you will automatically be entered in that contest. Wow, that's a lot to go over. So, uh, to close, I am Bob Mackey. You can reach me on Twitter at Bob Servo, B-O-B-S-E-R-V-O. I also do a lot of writing for US Gamer and something awful. Uh, Ray. I'm R-D-B-A-A on Twitter. And what else do you do, Ray? Uh, I what about really... the podcast that you work on? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, fine. That's all. I'll keep it short for pocket. Okay, sure. Uh, okay. I'm Cat Bailey. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot and on the Press Row podcast. Cool. And Jeremy. I'm GameSpite on Twitter, and you can find me at usgamer.net, among other fine internet destinations. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks again to Juan for the episode topic, and we will be back next week with a brand new full-length episode. See you guys then.